Hey there, history fans. Melissa here. I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is one of our older episodes. So the way that we sound here is a bit different from what we sound like today. Over time, we've been able to change our format a bit. We've acquired new editing software as well as new mics. So if the sound quality here isn't to your liking, please feel free to check out any of our newer episodes from Elmer McCurdy or anything from about March 18th up to today. I promise they sound a lot better. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. We hope you learned something new and we hope to have you back for more episodes as we continue to trek through history to explain it all. History fans, and welcome to another episode of the History Explains It All podcast. Come with us as we delve into topics big and small, strange and obscure, exciting, and maybe a little spooky. Well, that applies to today. Yeah. So today is actually part one of our Halloween special, part two coming up, and well, the day after, next day. So today, October thirty first. Happy Happy Halloween, history fans! Today we're going to talk about the infamous Matthew Hopkins, also known as the Witchfinder General. Witchfinder General. The Witchfinder General. But before we do that, we do still have our weird history blurb today. Oh, ouch! <laughs> ouch! Fine. Well, it's a little, it's a little short, little bit, but it's <laughs> cute. It's, it's in keeping with the theme. But it'll only be on today's episode, part two. will just be a continuation yes. of, of today's episode. What are we learning about today in weird history? We're learning Tell about <laughs> historical nuns. Sorry, I'm sorry. Hysterical historical nuns. Hysterical historical nuns. Blah, uh, blah. Tongue right. twister much? <laughs> so, just to add... Brief overview of mass hysteria, which some of you may have heard, like the dancing plague of 1518. So this is similar in sense to that, but without the dancing, but craziness ensues. So mass, mass hysterias are, the definition of mass hysteria is sociogenic mental illnesses that propagate, spread rapidly within a community with psychological symptoms sometimes coming out and manifesting themselves as physical symptoms. So you have thoughts in your head of some kind, and then there's usually a physical contributing attribute, just like the dancing plague, which usually, and most of the times, these are often stress-induced. And we're talking about nuns during the late Middle Ages. So 13, 14, very early 1500s, kind of the late, dark, late, late Middle Ages. And a little brief overview on what it was like to be a nun at that point. Because nah. women really didn't have a whole lot of say in their life. Well, that was for centuries. That wasn't until recently, and we still have that problem. 
Yeah, but it's much, much worse. Of course it is. It's the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Well, even the Renaissance, it was still worse then, too. So convents, unlike monasteries, which had a lot more freedom and what the monks could do and the money that they could bring in to pay. <coughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking Martin Luther nailing his uh, his theses to the door of the... Anyway, back to my my, my little thing. So, women in nunneries, it was more like a prison sentence rather than what might be today, similar, aside from being celibate, you would still have to leave a life of prayer, a life to God, a life of rules. Back then, it was really much more like a prison. You usually had a head nun, prioress, Kind of a kind of a thing, uh-huh. and they were expected to be celibate, submit to poverty, hard work, and unquestioning obedience to their authority figures who had the right to issue out any kind of punishment they deemed or felt was necessary to ensure compliance within their within the nuns at the convents, and they could use any kind of means they thought was appropriate, extra labor. Confinement to solitary cells, lack of food and water, whipping, caning, beatings in general. So you have lack of freedom to do what you want as a female. Because most of the time, women or girls that ended up in convents were given to the convents by their parents because they could not support them or didn't want them because they weren't boys or for various other reasons. You also have essentially being beaten or coerced into submission against your will. And whether you believe it or not, you are coerced and you're, you're made to submit to uh, the authority of God by your authority figures with no stress outlet. So you're living these terrible conditions, a lot of stress, a lot of mental issues going about, I'm sure. Oh, yes. A very well, you got people, so I don't know about loneliness, but probably a lot of the he she said she said kind of stuff too. And then sometimes things would go bad. And, and if a particular nun at the convent got too much to handle and beatings weren't helping, sometimes they would deem her to have been possessed by a witch or the devil. And even on extreme cases, she would have been condemned, condemned. she would have been. Condemned? Condemned as a witch and burnt to death. Nice. Now, the two cases I'm going to be talking about have nothing to do with being burnt as a witch. That will come a little later after our weird history. But Mm -hmm. the first case is in France. And this one is the case of the meowing nuns. Huh. Uh Uh-huh. Meow, 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 meow. I'm sorry. Wait, what? Cat nuns? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. The are you talking about? And no, these are cats from the musical dressed up as nuns. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a Halloween costume of dressing up as a cat while still being a nun. No, these are, it started off with one nun who either was just trying to get attention. We don't specifically know. Uh, she could have just felt like making silly noises at some point. Maybe mm-hmm. she had a lot of stress. Maybe just the stress of being there kind of cracked her. But at one point, she just decided to start meowing like a cat for hours. 
and then other nuns in the convent decided to join in. And so for hours yeah. upon hours, days upon days, the neighborhood around the convent could hear all of these meowing nuns. It was so loud you could hear it in the village nearby. Mm-hmm. Meow, meow, meow. And they, they tried what they could to get them to stop. And do you want to know what made him stop? Sure. No guesses? Uh, an actual cat? No. See, the thing is, uh, a lot of people in the town were very upset at that because cats at this time were seen, especially black cats, even to this day, but cats in general were seen as familiars of witches and the devil, which is why there was that one pope who also condemned cats and asked them to be killed, also happening during a plague, which just kind of made things worse. That's a different topic oh for a later date, though. <laughs> Another episode. Yeah. There's a later one. So, no, the, these nuns eventually quieted down under threat of being beaten by the neighboring soldiers and militia. Yeah. And then the next one happened nearby in Germany in the 1400s. This one's a bit weirder, though. It was a nun who began biting other nuns. She just went around biting. Just as far as we know, went around biting people. Yep. So this is actually, I, I don't know if the first one is, but this, this specific, uh, the, the, the biting nuns one actually comes from a book called Epidemics of the Middle Ages by Justus Hecker, who was a German physician and medical writer. This came out, actually, I don't have a date when this came out. We'll have to look it up. I'll let you guys know. But in his we'll get book. We'll to you in our Facebook page. Yeah. I want to say in the 1800s, but it could have been before that. Uh, it's not in my notes. I apologize. But he wrote about the Brandenburg nuns. So in Saxony and Brandenburg specifically, there was an infection quote-unquote, of nuns biting each other. So it's sort of a mass hysteria of people biting each other. So the nuns would bite other nuns who would bite other nuns and it became a big thing. The weird thing about this particular episode, it didn't stay in Germany. It even went as far as Holland and down into Rome. Huh? Yeah. Wow. It's just mass hysteria of nuns biting each other spread from Holland down to Rome through Europe. Makes no sense, but okay. Uh, it's weird. It's very weird. That's an understatement of what it is, but okay. Mm -hmm. And most of the nuns stopped biting each other after they just became overly exhausted. But again, like with the first case, with the threat of beatings, or mostly to beat into you the fear of God and beat out the devil. Mm -hmm. I think that's called fustigation. It, that's ended up what making things stop. You threaten people with corporeal punishment, and most people tend to stop at that. Especially when it's something minor, just like making cat noises. Except that they could hear it in the in the whole town. Mm -hmm. Which also means that this nunnery might have been quite big. But we don't have any, I couldn't find any sources on exactly which nunnery it would have been, or how big or it was. where it was. Right. Located in comparison to the town. That's just weird. Mass hysteria is weird. And there's a lot more stranger <clears throat> ones out there, too. This is just something silly I thought would be fun. Although, wow. out of the silliness and into the craziness, that is Matthew Hawkins. Oh, Lord. You ready? All right. 
Let's get on to this dude, <laughs> which we do not like. No, we, we we definitely have our own opinions on Matthew Hopkins, and we may be uh, expressing you, those throughout this episode. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but I found that Matthew Hopkins, that we don't know his birth date, but we do know where he was born, which was Wenhams in Suffolk in England. And that he died... On August 12th of 1647. Did you get that? I did get that. I believe I found that he was only in his early 30s when he died. So he would have been uh-huh. probably, I, I found he was about 32, maybe 33 when he yeah, dies. So, so that would have been early, like 1610, sorry, 1615 or so. Yeah, so between 1610 and 1620. No, and 1610 would have put him at 37 years old. So it was 1615 and 1620. Yeah. I was just giving a full decade version. And that he was born to James Hopkins, the vicar of the Puritan faith. Oh, the Puritans. The Puritans. The Puritans. Puritans. Mm. Uh Now, just a quick, I believe in the 1640s when all, most of his Matthew Hopkins and stuff went down. Was that during the middle or towards the end of the Civil War? I don't remember. The English Civil War. I, I know which Civil War you're talking about. It's the English one, but I... I want to say towards I the... I think it's the end. I thought it was near the end, because Cromwell ruled for 15, 20 years, I think. Yeah, I think it's And then Charles, the... Charles didn't come in until about 1660 or so. Charles II. Yeah. So I want to say towards the end of the Civil War. I think, okay. I think it's towards the end because of, of the same reasons. Okay, just want to get context of the timeline here. Yeah, get it. Um... Where was I? I totally forgot. Okay, upon James his, Hopkins. Yeah, he who was of Puritan faith. I didn't find much on James Hopkins to be honest, but there upon, was, all I found really. was that after his fa- after James Hopkins died, Matthew moved to Manningtree in Essex, England, where he tried to put himself forward as a man of the aristocracy. He also claimed he was a lawyer, and sources found. That he was probably no closer to being a lawyer than a clerk working in a lawyer's office. Yeah. He had, we don't know his background, but we do know that he worked as a clerk in a lawyer's office, but never actually went and studied to be a lawyer. He just yeah. claimed he was one. Well, he was also claiming to be part of the aristocracy when he's the son of a vicar. I mean, he, obviously he wanted to get somewhere in life, which is really hard to do in these times. It's really was, hard to move above the station you're born into. Right. Uh, to me, he seems like the kind of person who would step on anyone to get what he wanted out of life, which was to be well-known and wealthy. Well, we'll get into that because... Uh, <laughs> he stepped on a lot of people, quote, Many, unquote. many people. But to be honest, he wasn't really known before the year of 1644. No, not really. I couldn't find much on him pre his... Reign of Terror. Reign of Terror. Yeah. Pre is becoming a Witchfinder General, although that's a made-up term that he came up with. In 1644, the only thing I found out was that he was a lawyer, quote, end quote, in Essex. Probably a lawyer's clerk. And that in 1644, he came across his first set of witches (laughs) in Manning Tree. There were several versions of the story of how he first came across them. So there were six of them, and they supposedly tried to kill him. 
Yeah, I've got my thoughts, but you go ahead. Well, I mean, this is just one version. I don't know how many versions you found, but I found three or four. No, I didn't find any particular versions. Version. Versions. Wow. Versions. No, any. <laughs> I think you mean version. No, yeah, no, I didn't really have any specific versions of these. This group of witches Wait. that mm-hmm. he claimed to be uh, conspiring to be conspiring against him. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, my my kind of belief is there was a group of women out in public chattering amongst themselves, and he thought. That was wrong because there is a quote in our next episode in reference to the Malleus Maleficarum, which specifically says a woman left to herself is dangerous. Dangerous. So there must have been probably a small group of women, some friends talking amongst each other who didn't give Matthew Hopkins the time of day, even though he thought he was probably God's gift to women. I thought it was God's gift to earth, probably. Yeah. And they just, they wouldn't acknowledge him, and so he decided to claim them as witches just to punish them for ignoring him. That would be my thought, based off of his later actions. I don't know about that, obviously, but the several versions I have, I'll give you this, the the next version or two, is that Matthew Hopkins started his journey as a witch hunter because, of course, he was listening in on a meeting of women that were none of his business, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was in his near his home, which I'm assuming wasn't really a house. It was probably a room in a building, and he overheard them next or door. Or the market square or something. Something, something near, his, near his residency. And they were talking about the meeting the devil. Which, at this and time, it's the Puritan faith. Anyone knows about thinking about the Puritans? They're incredibly zealously religious and incredibly zealously strict regarding their religion. Uh, I mean, Oliver Cromwell banned Christmas, plays, drinking, sports, and fun stuff. Anything, <laughs> if, anything, to fun, anything that do. was not an activity pertaining to the worshiping of God was illegal, essentially, under Cromwell. Oh, Cromwell. And this is the environment else. that, that uh, John... That Matthew Matthew, Hop- Matthew Hopkins, <laughs> I was at John's house. We were talking about your college earlier. <laughs> that Matthew Hopkins grew up in, and his daughter being a Puritan vicar, you know, along with the, the, the Cromwell and Civil War, this would definitely would have been stuff he was subjected to growing up, oh, which yeah. would have definitely definitely shaped his formed formed and shaped how his mind thought and heard and right. listened to things. So supposedly they were talking about the dead. The devil and right. burn at the stake. Now, to give you an idea about the whole witchcraft craze throughout England, it was going on prior to Matthew Hawkins. He was the most infamous of the... Witch hunters. Witch hunters, correct. And it did continue going on a bit until after Matthew Hawkins. But prior to the majority of the witchcraft craze mm-hmm. and witchcraft huntings and trials throughout England, it was the thing... But it really wasn't crazily popular in terms of it. It didn't really become popular until after Hopkins. Oh, no, it was dying out after Matthew Hopkins because there were laws passed after Matthew Hopkins died. It was the the other way. Because in 1604, there was a witchcraft act that was actually passed. 
Yes. In England. And it wasn't re-amended until about 150 years later. I have to, to tuck my notes on our next week's episode. But yeah, and it wasn't until the 1700s that they they reworked it. But in 1604, it was broadened to include persons of demonic familiars or invocation of demo- uh, evil spirits. Now, to give an idea, prior to... I think the, uh, how do I put this? Um, prior to the Middle Ages, witchcraft is mostly seen as somebody conjuring or of by use of magic to gain something, but it wasn't seen as distinctly a religious thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you always had your soothsayers and, and fortune tellers and people like that. But it was around the time of the Witchcraft Act, mm-hmm. which also happened long before, like, uh, it happened in the early 1500s, but there's been different amendments throughout time. I think there was, I think the latest amendment was in the 15, the, the 1950s or 60s even. But it was during the Middle Ages that it... it became prominent? Became prominently Catholic. Oh, of course. Whereas witchcraft is now seen as people against the Catholic faith summoning demons, being possessed by demons, conjuring anyone, conjuring the devil against Catholics. Mm-hmm. And anyone that was a single female, an independent female, an old spinster, even children were not immune you know, if your parents didn't, you know, if 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 you acted against your parents, you could they could accuse you of witchcraft, and you don't you can you don't really have much of a say. Uh, homeless people, just anyone outside of the strict societal norms that were going on at that time, could be and likely were accused of witchcraft. Yes. Because why not? Okay, so back to Matthew Hopkins and his journey into being a witchfinder general. Which is a self-appointed title. title. Like we said, it's a title he made up. The third version I found of him becoming a witchfinder general is that one of his colleagues named John Stern stated, stated that a group of women were trying to kill him with witchcraft. So instead of Matthew Hopkins being tried to kill the witches trying to kill Matthew Hopkins, they were trying to kill John Stern in this version. Basically, it's the same thing, except that in the version with John Stern, 23 women were accused of witchcraft and were put on trial. 19 of them were convicted in this version and hanged while the other four died in prison. Also, Matthew was the one that, he's the one that examined them, I guess you could say, to see if there were any witch deformities on them, which we will get into. Because, dear lord, witch deformities, please. Oh my gosh. We will get into that in this episode. We will definitely get into it next episode for sure. This will be fun times, guys. And after that, in 1645 is when he took on the title of Witchfinder General, which he appointed himself. So initially, Stearns was the head of the operation and Hopkins was sort of the assistant. By the time Matthew Hopkins gave himself that title, they had switched roles. Mm-hmm. So Stern actually went into business with Hopkins, with the Witchfinder General, and he was part of the crew, and they were together as partners. I think bar- partly because Hopkins seemed to be successful in trying to pass himself off as a lawyer, 
either that or he just had the personality of being more of the business head. Aggressive. Much. Not only that, he also claimed that he was given permission by Parliament to hunt down witches within the commu- surrounding communities of Manning Tree. No, no. Which, again, was false. He was making false claims using Parliament's name. Now, at this time, most people were illiterate, so who could say that he wasn't he was, telling the truth? Exactly. And in the end, he found 230 people. And in the range of four years. Yeah, between now, 1647. 1647. 1647. Yeah, actually, it's three years. 1645, yeah, he sent more people to their death than any other witch hunter with, within England's borders of the pa- previous 160 years. It, it, it's astounding how much he must have really disliked people. <laughs> well, also, it made him a whole ton of money, too, which oh, uh, I've got notes on that. I don't know where you are in the story, because I don't want to just jump right in with that. Um, I'm going into methods, but you can go into that if you want to, and then I can do methodology. Oh, yeah, because we're going to definitely get into methodology. Oh, yay, let's do methodology soon. Yeah, I have price right after my methodology, so just go ahead and go go for it. I did a little conversion for it, just so we have a couple modern, semi-modern updates on it. So, at the time, the average daily wage was two and a half pence, which... Would be about three cents a day American, which adds to about thirty dollars mm-hmm. in today's money per day, which is maybe that's that's per day. And back then, work was sunrise to sunset, so about twelve hours of work with no labor or lunch breaks or OSHA or anything like that. You know, safety laws in, in place like that. So we're talking 12 hours of labor. You make 30 hours, $30 a day. Mm-hmm. That's not much. And at the time, Matthew Hopkins, when he first started, when he was in Ipswich and Edelberg, he was charging only six pounds, which is still a fair bit of money coming from two and a half pence a day for the average person. You're charging six pounds. But then he went to Stowe Market and started charging 23 to 25 pounds God, per, which per is witch hunt. Which Jeez. is just, that's extortion at that point. You go from two and a half pence per average person per day, and he's charging 23 to 25 pounds. And this is such an important thing in the day. At that this, time, yeah. At that time, to hire a witch finder or a witch hunter, everyone felt the need for that. So these towns and areas are scrambling to get together the money. And then they're out of money for something as stupid as witch hunting. He even had his own book. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. Where were Which we? is also a name of a series, I believe, but has nothing to do with Matthew Hopkins. They're, they're very different things, actually. <laughs> the, the series is very good. I'm actually a fan. But we can talk about that later. He used horrible forms of methodology. Some of which I believe he came up with his on uh, came up with on his own. I found that they were very traditional. I didn't find much on some his of own. it. Mo- well, 
I think, or maybe he put his own spin on them. He might have done that, but a lot of them were traditionally based. So his methodology, he would look for any, what he would consider, quote, deformities, end quote, on the body, which would be considered an extra pap or, like, basically a place where an imp could feed on your body. That would prove that a person was, was a witch. He would also force the person accused of being a witch to walk around and not sleep for a whole night. Sometimes, At minimum. Yeah, I was saying sometimes longer. I think there's a couple cases where women yeah. were made to stay up for four days straight. And, and the delusion of being up without sleep for four days, you're essentially, I mean, it's being... Your body's giving out. After two days, my body gives out. And I get... I get decent sleep, but anyone who's been through insomnia knows what two or three days without sleep is like. Imagine being interrogated for four days straight and not being allowed to sleep. You're going to say anything you want. It's like the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, you're going to say anything that is necessary for you to be able to get that sleep. Right. Now, of course, it's not unlike... Well, obviously, I'm going to Salem, but I'm going to have it. No. Not, not quite the same. But, I mean, essentially, someone accuses you of witchcraft. You're tortured for four days. You're tortured with sleep deprivation. You're tortured by being humiliated, usually in front of people from your own town. Basically, your town. And your town, someone in your town is accusing you of witchcraft. This this guy you're paying, if if three, three cents a day is equivalent to today's $30, 20 Five pounds at that point is just hundreds. You know, a hundred to two hundred dollars, maybe even. Yeah, it's a lot of money, and you're paying this because your neighbor's land is more fertile than yours. So you accuse them of being a witch because you want their land, and, and so you you accuse your own self of being a witch because people are telling you that you are one, and they're torturing you in doing so. And then what happens? You're likely to die. You're likely to be murdered. Yes. Let's not sugarcoat it here. But the idea of them walking around at least for at least one night was that at night a witch could summon their minions because when they were resting, that was the idea that they could summon their minions. Minion? Never mind. The other test that Hopkins performed was to throw the person accused of witchcraft into water while tied up. The dunking method, as I've heard it called. Well, those who didn't sink were witches, as they would be repelled by the water. But if they sank, they weren't a witch, but they were still dead anyway. Right, and the whole repelling of water is that the the water would... It, being a witch meant that you gave up your baptism. You rejected it. Rejected your baptism. And if you, if you floated, the water would no longer save you. It would never accept you. Yeah. Kind of thing, which is, you know, baptism, water. Which I, I'll admit, until doing this research, I kept hearing about, oh, if you float, you're a witch. If you sink, you, you're not one. I'm going... That is backwards logic right there. It's still backwards logic, but at least it has a reason for it. Yes, well, that test, the water test, that was Hopkins' preferred method. He loved that method. That was his method of killing people. I think his preferred method of finding somebody a witch was the pricking method. Oh, yeah. Which, hmm, okay. 
It was called witch pricking. And oh, what you would do is it was, it was believed that if you prick a witch or if you prick somebody and they don't bleed, they're a witch because witches don't bleed or something like that. That's and interesting, so okay. what Stern actually came up with this, it was essentially a retractable pin that Matthew Hopkins would use when trying to determine if somebody was a witch. He would take the the pin and it was probably a blunt ended pin. Ouch. Like a like a knitting not knitting needle, like a sewing needle, but a blunt ended sewing needle, like one like a tapestry uh, needle. But a retractable one so that if you poke them, like, oh here's my needle, poke and then it retracts and then they don't bleed or something along those lines. And so I'm like, okay, it didn't puncture the skin. This person's a witch because witches don't bleed. That was his preferred method of finding witches. Yeah. I mean, let's... Uh, this guy's irritating. But he took some of his methods actually from James I of England, James VI of Scotland's book called Demonology. Yes, which did you hear about the whole story behind James the First and his zealous hunting of witches? Oh, about, God. about Christina? Oh, please. Okay, I was saving it for next episode. So you, you can tell it now <laughs> or you can save it for the next episode. Well, we'll tell it now just to give you an idea of who James the First, James the Sixth of England was. So James the First of Scotland prior to becoming James the Sixth of England. No, opposite way. James the First. James the Sixth of Scotland before becoming James the First. Thank you. Um, he became James the First of England in 1603. So this is after Elizabeth the First died. There you go, James the First, Elizabeth the First. Prior to him, while he was still King of Scotland, he went over to Denmark to get married, and on the way back, his our I was armada, but his fleet. Yeah, yeah, that's a good ships. Idea. The several ships that were there were on their way back and got caught up in really, really nasty storms and ended up having to camp for weeks in Norway until the weather got good enough that they could sail back to Scotland. And James decided that the storm that ruined his honeymoon and wedding or his travel plans was the result of witches. So he actually sent an envoy back to Denmark who rounded up people and claimed that they were the witches who created the storm that delayed the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So important. He was incredibly zealous about hunting and killing witches. And, in fact, was even instrumental in person towards the torturing of several. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he did create the witchcraft statute of 1604. Mm-hmm. Which basically overturned the other version of that, which was from 1563, which was created by Elizabeth I. Right, and believe that was the one that said witches are real, but you can't accuse someone of witchcraft, but it's still heresy to be a her- her- heretical to be a witch, but you can't actually torture or accuse you, someone. You had to have spe- very, very specific allegations. Right. Under, I actually have it here. Elizabeth I's Witch Act of 1563 was actually titled An Act Against Conjurations, Enchantments, and Witchcraft, which specified the types of specific allegations that you can bring forward and evidence that you had to have. James 
James decided to overturn all of that and just made all forms of witchcraft illegal. And he had the witchcraft statute of 1604, which stated that witchcraft was a capital offense. Didn't specify, didn't make any, sorry about that, a window is open and somebody's got very squeaky brakes. 1604, which made all witchcraft a capital offense and you did not need specific allegations to prove that you were a witch or not. Mm-mm. Whether the person was a witch or not. So it left so many doors open for so many people to just be like, you're a witch. It's like me accusing you of witchcraft and you dying for it when you haven't done anything. It's because you know what? I don't like you. I don't. I just don't like you. You're not somebody I want around and I want you out of my town. Or I like your wife. I want to accuse you of witchcraft. I want to take your wife. That probably happened too. I'm sure it did. I have no doubts actually. So he was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. And what did Matthew Hopkins get out of this? A lot. A lot of, a lot of money, let alone fame. Infamy. And, and where did it end up? Yeah. <laughs> where did it oh, end up? Now, uh, we're, I don't know if we're ready to get to it yet, but I do love his ending. Oh, Lord. And unfortunately, it's not true. How sad. I wish it was. But he did write a book called The Discovery of Witches. Which is actually, there is, a, there is a series by Deborah Harkness called The Discovery of Witches. That's the name of the first book. They're not the same, guys. They're completely different. They just ended up having the same name. Technically, I'd say they're both works of fiction, but completely different types. Yes, one's blatantly a work of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> the author knows very specifically what she is writing. Was that Deborah? Deborah Harkness. Harkness. Yeah. It's a very good series, by the way. Well, we both I'm, have the same book. We found out that. And I'm like, hey, hey, I have this book. <laughs> yes, but I actually read mine. <laughs> I read mine, yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend I have too many reading books. the series, I have too by many, the way. I have too many books about witchcraft and witches at home. I got to get through first. We, have, we both have a lot of books to get through. I highly recommend reading her series, by the way. She's not sponsoring or anything, obviously, but... It's a very good book, and I thoroughly enjoyed book one, and I have book two waiting for me. But he wrote about it, and this is actually where I read about him charging ridiculous amounts of money. He states that the money he made was in order to upkeep three horses, and he only took 20 shillings. He stated shillings, although it was pounds, guys. There's no way it was shillings. Because he took a lot more. It was, what, 23 to 25, you said? Mm-hmm. Pounds. Pounds. Yeah. Shillings aren't anything in comparison to pounds and co- like like that. He stated he took 20 shillings per town. However, his book shows that he took 23... I saw 20 to 25 uh, pounds per town. I don't know why there's so much noise going on outside. It's amazing. It's It's after nine. And uh, his book, his his book would actually be used later on in other witch trials. I think in our most famous witch trials, the Salem witch trials. So his book and Malleus as well too. Malleus, Malleus is on... tomorrow's episode, though. Let's not get into that. Well, I, oh, no, I was going to state that I think because the Malleus came out about several years before. Just, only, only several. Two hundred, hundred seventy-five. <laughs> Just be several. Just, just, but because that, as as w- you'll find out tomorrow, a lot of 
the similar <laughs> a lot of the similar what you call it earlier methodology yeah uh, of deducing if somebody was a witch yeah me- methodology mm-hmm. In the 1604 Act, because it made it very broad, the malleus itself, although specific, is also rather somewhat broad. But I think the malleus, malleus had a big impact on the Salem witch trials. It also just had a really big impact in England as well, I think, particularly on Matthew Hopkins. <laughs> we'll get into that tomorrow, oh Lord. That was like the worst finding I've ever read. But... I I don't know about you, but I was moving on into his retirement. Quote, yeah. unquote. Well, I was going to talk about the Reverend John Lowe's first. Oh, please. Okay. So this was this is sort of leading to his, his quote, unquote, retirement. So during the entire witchcraft craze throughout most of Europe, the amount of women to men that were accused of being witches or somebody who just made a pact with the devil, 80 to 85% is believed to have been women, with only 15 to possibly 20% men. Of course. Right. As I said, most of <laughs> most of this was against women, which we'll get to in the Malleus as well, too. I've, I've got some, some information about that. But one of the last few people that were actually accused by Matthew Hawkins is Reverend John Lowe's, who was an 80-year-old minister. And this is one of the last people. So it wasn't it wasn't so much that his Matthew Hawkins' undoing was because that Reverend Lowe's was male. It's more of he was a bit odd. It's his, his social standing. And he wasn't, how do I say this? He wasn't apparently quite popular in the community, and there were other people that were thinking of accusing him of witchcraft, I suppose you could say. (laughs) So Matthew Hopkins looked him over to see if he could find the markings of witches on him. And he said he was able to find a teat on his head, which, again, I don't know how you find teats on heads. And two teats beneath his tongue... I don't know what that would be specifically, medically. Uh, That's a very odd thing. I hadn't heard that one before. And under interrogation, and doesn't say what kind of interrogation, but under interrogation, Reverend Lowe's admitted to having six familiars, which he had ordered to sink a ship, killing 14 men. And through his uh, admission of guilt, he was later, which he later retracted, but he was hung along with 17 others that were found guilty. But it was because, I think mostly it was because he was a reverend, literally a man of the cloth, that people started to lose faith in Matthew Hopkins' ability to actually locate and, at, at this point, destroy witches, you know, cleanse what was essentially the Bible Belt of England at this time, cleanse England of its witches. Yeah. Mm. And then the Reverend John Gall, who was a Puritan cleric, actually preached against Hopkins. And John Gall was apparently very popular in his congregation. And he stood by Lowe's, mostly because Lowe's was also a reverend. 
And he even wrote a book, Select Cases of Conscious Touching Witches and Witchcraft. It's a very odd title. But it was essentially evidence that he gathered in his case against Hopkins and made it into a book, which I kind of want to read. And he actually openly questioned the existence of imps, familiars, distinctions of uh, good workings of magic and magic spells against witches, and then a scathing rebuke against Matthew Hawkins specifically. And then said of Matthew Hawkins that every old woman with a wrinkled face, a furrowed brow, a hairy lip, a robber tooth, a squint eye, a squeaking voice, or a scolding tongue, having a ragged coat on her back, a skull cap on her head, a spindle in her hand, and a dog or cat by her side is not only suspect, but pronounced for a witch. Which is pretty much any woman that's not submissive in the Puritan faith, I suppose. Yeah. So but apparently, though, this book was rather quite popular, I guess? So that public opinion of Matthew Hopkins, after this, also extortions of money from towns, populations dwindling, and now you've just accused and hung a man of the cloth. Even if people didn't like him, he was still a reverend who was backed up. And now you have Hopkins, who is, uh, you've got another reverend backing the reverend who was killed by Hopkins. So Matthew Hopkins is now essentially being told, you're a fraud, and you're ruining our religion, our faith, our population, our congregation. You are you everything. You are, it's time for you to go. You are the reason we're having these issues, not witches. Understatement. So, of course, Hopkins was questioned in 1647 by justices into his job and how it worked, basically. And at some point, it turns out, like, the court, I guess, took a pause or something. It didn't specify. My source did not specify what happened as to why the court didn't sentence him, I guess you could say. But by the time that the court resumed their lookings, looking into Hopkins, he had retired from the witch hunting business. Retired, obviously. We're quote, we're quote, end quote, retired. He didn't really retire. He was pushed out. So he just ended up, you know, re. Tiring, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, you want to tell a story on his death? Uh, on his um, the, the, I'll, the story. I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story. I so wish this was true. Don't so it, it is the first time I ever heard of Matthew Hopkins. Obviously, I know Rich Witchfinder General, massive, massive executions, reign of terror, witchcraft craze throughout England and around the time of the Civil War. And that his death was a result of him himself being accused of being a witch, being a witch and being sentenced <laughs> to death by being so. So he essentially became what he preached against. Yeah. Well, I have that they actually did his preferred method of killing people, the floating method. Did you float in the river or did you drown? <laughs> Can well, you swim or not swim? Most people at this time could also not swim, so most of the people drowned. Well, most of the people drowned, and then any that floated... There were some. I'm like, yeah, but your hands are bound and tied. <laughs> but there was, there was one story, I don't remember her name, but there's one story of, of a, I believe she was a teenager, who actually was accused of a witch. She was tied up to a chair and then tossed into, I guess, a lake or something that was nearby. But she was able to actually wriggle out of her 
her binds and then actually get out and run away. Didn't find that one. I, I heard it on a podcast, but I can't remember her name. It's on my head. But there were, there were definitely people who who actually escaped from some of the torture. Of course. Despite yeah. being accused. But unfortunately, no, Matthew Hopkins did not no. die in the manner of which he decided to kill hundreds of others. There's, he actually he, became he, ill. He, he died of tuberculosis. Well, which in and of itself is a bad way to die. But it's a bad way it's to not, die. It's, it's not, not poetic <laughs> justice, unfortunately. <laughs> You're still dead. You still suffer. Tuberculosis is a it's, terrible thing to suffer oh, from, especially at this horrible. time because there's no medical. There's no no such thing as like a real hospital that we think of today. Well, even with, in Victorian times, there really wasn't. That's true. But the hospitals then, like, if we but think I don't hospitals know. today are disgusting, which they are, it's it's a it's a building with a ton of people that are possibly sick and that that can be passed on to you. You're just separate. and more than that too. Yeah, it's just it. Hospitals are gross in the general sense of the term. So it's it's even worse in the Middle Ages. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go to a hospital in the Middle Ages. I'd rather just die in my room. People rarely bathed. Yeah, yeah, they. Yeah. And when you did bathe, they, you were bathing in common water. Yeah. Same as other people, and sometimes it was your own drinking water. Well, that's the end of Matthew Hopkins. Well, I do have a quote from Montague oh. Summers if you want to end up enough on that. So, as I was saying, actually, before I, I do the quote, as I was saying earlier about the Witchcraft Act, so there are several different Witchcraft Acts and amendments that went on throughout England, and I said that after Matthew Hopkins, yeah. there was yet another amendment, which happened in 1735. The Witchcraft Act, I believe, of 1604 itself was actually repealed mm-hmm. and replaced by an additional amendment, which said, uh, instead charge witchcraft, instead of witchcraft being against as a religious thing, Witchcraft is now considered to be a form of con artistry and labeled offenders as practicing the pretense of witchcraft rather than witchcraft proper. And that stood into effect until 1951. So for nearly 200 years, essentially saying that... That didn't end until post-World War II. Yeah. Let's put that into some context here. I believe Elizabeth wasn't quite on the throne. Was it 56? I don't... Yeah. Okay, so I'm pretty sure she wasn't. Okay. I know it was during that decade. I just can't remember the exact year. I'm I'm pretty sure she wasn't. And then in 1951, it it became the Fraudulent Mediums Act, which was then discarded in 2008 as the Consumer Protections Regulations took over. So as you'll find out next and in tomorrow's episode, there are definitely a lot of various iterations of what is witchcraft, how it changes throughout the centuries, and also modern, popular, essentially commercialism of witchcraft, which also can lead to the various repeals, replacements, and amendments of uh, witchcraft laws throughout different er- uh, areas. 1953. 50, thank you. 53 was, 1953 was Elizabeth II's okay. coronation, that's it. Okay. So it was like right before. Okay. Well, to leave you off with a quote about Matthew Hopkins, which I think sums it up kind of well, Montague Summers, who was also an English clergyman, wrote of Hopkins, 
He was an orthodox Puritan of narrowest views, enough so far as his own pockets were concerned, and his crusade up and down the eastern counties, which created something like a reign of terror at the time, has caused his name to stink in the nostrils of all decent persons ever since. I think that's a good summation. You are, you are a blight to the English people. Now die. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, oh, I'm just going to get more upset on the next episode, so I'm just not going to, I'm just gonna not going to right now. All, all of the, the uh, uh, and uh, sighs that you hear now might be amplified or multiplied <laughs> in tomorrow's episode. Just we, it, it's, we have our opinions, and we will very much save them. You will hear them. I'm sure we will. But that's all for tonight. You can. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> you can find all of our socials on our on oh. our anchor page. You can find it on our anchor page. We have a Facebook page, which is History Explains It All. We have an Instagram page, History Explains It All podcast. Well, it's History Explains It All underscore podcast. Sorry. And then we have a Gmail account. Please. Email us. We'd love to hear from y'all. <laughs> History explains all at gmail.com. Take out the it because yeah. too much, too many words. So and History explains all. Comments, suggestions, reviews, any way you podcast or review would be great. Uh, that's how people are able to find us. No sponsorship. So people can find us based off of the reviews and suggestions. Yeah. And so the more you can help us out. We'd love to also yeah. hear from you and hear your opinions, what you found, what you think, what you think we should do an episode on. What you thought of our episode. And yeah. any helpful, constructive criticisms you might have, anything like that. All of the above. Just send it to us. Otherwise, we're just two people here talking in a room about history fun facts. <laughs> Which is way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this without a podcast. We've been doing this for a year now without a podcast. We just talk about it in general. I don't think there's a day we don't hang out or we don't talk about history. That's not possible or feasible. All right. Do archaeologists not discussing history at some point? Yeah, I don't think that's possible. So we're going to wish you a happy Halloween. And a good night. Uh, Bad night? Spooky dreams? Good night. Go have spooky, scary dreams of ghosts, okay? And we'll talk to y'all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye.